next 20 minutes or so. I'm going to get you to do a bit of work yourself. So that means you're going to turn to the person next to you in a few moments and I want you to be thinking about, this is a tough bit, thinking about a conflict that you've either been in or, if you want to be safer, somebody else has been in that you know of and you're going to share that conflict with each other for about a couple of minutes in a few moments' time, okay? Because then we're going to share three things about it and how we repair those relationships and you're going to get a chance to, talk, to apply what we're talking about to those situations. Got the idea? So you can be thinking in your head, gosh, what am I going to say to the person next to me in a few moments? Over here, how many people know what that is? Put your hand up if you know what that is. One person, boy. I know oh a few people, okay. This is called a $1 coffee from 7-Eleven. We're not sponsored by them this morning. I work on the road, I'm a business chaplain, so we go from place to place from business to business throughout the day. And for the last few years, I discovered several years ago that you get a freshly brewed coffee from 7-Eleven for a grand total of $1. But do you know that if you go, you can try this yourself, just don't tell anyone, if you go in there and you put your cup there and you press short black, you get one shot of coffee, right? If you press the short black again, you get a second shot of coffee, then you press hot milk and it fills up and you get a double shot of brewed coffee for the grand total of one dollar. Now, I've been enjoying that because when you're riding around going to place to place, one dollar coffees keep you going for the day. Uh, Last year, there was a time that I got up early in the morning, I went from place to place all around Melbourne and just one of those times you go from one thing to the next and you don't stop. And uh, it it turned to be about six o'clock that evening, still hadn't had a coffee, and we had a number of interviews to do at at, uh, the Royal Melbourne Hospital. And just across the road there, there was a 7-Eleven. So I thought, you know when you get that crave, you can anticipate the coffee that's going to come in. And here I am, I go in, I've got enough time to get my coffee. I press the short black, and you watch that, you know, coffee coming. You you press it again, the second the second shot of coffee and there's a little guy beside me wiping down the bench and he says to me, that'll be $2. I I said to him, I've been doing this for years, it's only $1. Where does it say you pay $2 for pressing it twice? He says, I'm the boss, I make the rules, I own the shop, it's $2. So I wonder what you would have done in that situation. I, said, I argued again, I said, it's, here's a mature person who speaks about conflict regularly, right? So I, I did the mature thing. I said, it's, it's, it's a dollar because it doesn't say anywhere here that it says, two, where does it say you, got, you can't press the short black twice? And he says, no, I run the shop. I make the rules, two dollars. So I did the mature thing. I wonder what you would have done. I, I left my coffee there and I walked out. <laughs> and he didn't get his one dollar either. And so I went back to the car and then I thought, there's nowhere else open for coffee. For the rest of the night, there was no, and I couldn't go back because I was so embarrassed by the fact that I'd done something so stupid that worry about one. I want you to turn to the person next to you. I want you to quickly share. Have we got this thing up on the screen, by the way? I want you to quickly share. Um, um, here we go. I want you to share with the person next to you a conflict that you've been in, and we're going to unpack that in a moment. So go. Turn to the person next to you. Go. Two minutes. Sure.
Okay. Righto, let's uh, get back together again. What I want you to do is to hold that idea in your head for a moment. I'm going to get you in a few moments to apply what we're going to talk about in your own conflict that you just shared. So you haven't shared one, you have to think of one. There's some notes there if you want to fill in as we go. You're welcome to do that. So keep that there in front of you. The first thing I want you to remember for the rest of your life, the first thing I want you to remember is that every conflict, I think I've got up here, is fought on one of three levels, power, principle or need. Every conflict, doesn't matter what kind of conflict it is, is going to be one of those three levels. When I walked into that shop to get my coffee cup, my coffee over here, yeah, I feel, even feels better just holding it, you know. Um, I had a need that was for caffeine. And when that little guy who owned the shop said, uh, I'm the boss, I run it, and I said, no, it should be, I said it should be a dollar, not two dollars, because there's nothing... I was fighting on a principled level. He should let me have it for $1 because there's nowhere that says $2. He was fighting on a principled level. You're the customer here. You should pay me $2 because I make the rules. I'm the boss. I'm the person who owns this place. So we were here we were having this fight for $1 on a principled level. You know how strong principles can be? It can, be, it can make you do really crazy things. But anyway, so here we were. So in my great maturity... I raised the bar to a power level and I walked out of the shop. I could, you're not going to get my dollar, I'll show you. And I walked out of the shop very stupidly, walked out. He raised the bar to a power level too, unless you pay me two, you're not going to get two dollars. Had we used, had I actually followed my own advice at that day, needs would have been, what's my need? My need is a dollar. His need is um, I was thinking he should give me good customer service. He should have said, mate, it's $2. I know you thought it was a dollar. It's a dollar this time, next time it's 2 He should have shown good customer service. I was thinking that myself. But instead of, instead of me going to power level, I should have gone to needs level and said, oh, here's your $2, no problem at all. Now, I could still think principally, he's wrong, you should show me good customer service. He could still principally think, this guy's a jerk, what's he arguing about, a dollar? And we could have resolved that on a needs level. What's my need? What's your need? Every conflict is, is, is in one of those three levels. Um, it doesn't matter if it's uh, two kids fighting over toys. They'll resolve it either on a power level, right, the bigger kid gets the toy and bashes the other one up. It can be resolved on a principled level. A parent or an adult says, no, you should share. Whenever you use the word should, it tells you it's principle. You should share this. Or you can resolve it on a needs level. Look, you play with this toy, you play with that toy. And you resolve it on a needs level. Uh, two countries at war with each other, um, Israel and Palestine. On a needs level, each side have families, kids, they need shelter, they need housing, they need protection, they need, they've got the same needs as human beings. Principally, we own this land, God has given to us, we have a right to it, that's a principle okay, of conflict. But you know who wins the war? It's the one who's got the most power, the most bombs, the most... Uh, the most, uh, the most uh, battle behind them. So which level do you fight on? It doesn't matter. So what I want you to do now, oh, by the way, the, the fill in there, is we can fight at whatever level we want. Sometimes you need to fight at a high level, but just fighting it on a needs level doesn't mean that you're actually um, compromising your principle. I could have walked out of that shop and still think the guy's wrong 
but just paid him the $2. This is a biblical principle. Jesus used all three levels. There were times that he used power. He turned the tables over. He didn't let things happen. There's times that he used principle. He refused to take sustenance when Satan offered him during the temptation when he was in the desert. He, stand, he stood his ground. He also met with tax collectors, forgave prostitutes. He, he, gave, he, he met people at their need. Does that mean he was soft on sin? Not at all. He met people at needs level. So his power principle. What I'd like you to do now for the next couple of minutes, I want you to uh, discuss with the person next to you your conflict. What would have happened if you had uh, taken on a different level in your conflict? Got the idea? Two minutes. Go. Okay, let's get everyone together again. We'll go back to that. Go. Okay, hopefully you've identified a starting point that might not have been the best starting point. We've all got an entry point into conflict and it will feel really natural to us. Sometimes that natural starting point, whether it's power, principle or needs, is actually because of our temperament type. If you are a manager type of person, a natural leader, if you like to get stuff done, if you like to make things happen quickly, most likely you're going to start with power. And that sometimes might work and there's a whole lot of times where that might not be the best starting point, but it might come natural to you. If you are a, if you like to be good, if you like to do the right thing, if you've got a bit of a dose of perfectionism in there, if you like things done well, you probably will start with principle and you'll have the shoulds running through your head. It shouldn't be like this. I shouldn't have to explain myself. They should just know. You'll end up possibly locking horns like those two antelope, whatever they were on the screen. Principle is one place to start. It might not be the most helpful. might be natural for you, might not be helpful. If you're a laid-back kind of a person, nothing much really bothers you. If you're fairly cruisy, you will probably start with needs and that can be really good most of the time unless it actually means that you're avoiding doing stuff or saying stuff that actually has to be said and done. So we have a natural starting point. It will feel normal to us. It might not be the most helpful thing to do. When I'm in a conflict, a conflict conversation, I will always be asking myself in the back of my head, what are their needs? What are my needs? Do they need sleep? <laughs> that would be someone at home. Do they need to come tea? Do I need to calm down? Do they need some time? Do we need to talk about this tomorrow? What are their needs? What are my needs? And you almost can never fail by starting with needs. It just might not be your most natural starting point if you are a different kind of temperament from that. Thank you. So that's the first one I want you to remember. The second one I want you to remember, and I'm... If there's psychologists in the room, I'm not a psychologist, I'm going to tell you something that is helpful, but, but just bear that in mind. There are two parts of the brain that predominantly engage when there is a conflict. It's that when somebody says something to you that gives you that, what do they just say? They say something rude to you. They say something that's offensive to you. You know, the, and the two parts of the brains are these. There's a neocortex, which is sort of like the big fluffy part around the outside, which is the logical thinking processing part, the, the calm, cool, collected um, I can work this out. And then there's this other little part called the amygdala, which kind of makes us human. It's a fight, flight or freeze response. It's a feelings type 
um, response that we have. And those two things are connected. And when somebody says something offensive to you, you really look, you know, not the way you should, or I don't like your shirt, or they say something about the work you're doing, or they, they say something that offends you, what happens is this. They say the path, the, the research shows, the path to the amygdala is faster than the path to the neocortex. That information gets to your brain, to the amygdala first, and it's like what happens then is the amygdala sort of colours your ability to process that conflict. It's like if you hold red cellophane over your eyes, for the rest of the time all you see is red and you interpret everything through the colour of what you see it as. Have you ever come across somebody who's perfectly uh, sensible, normal, mature, they run businesses, they are you know, all together, but they're hooked on some issue because some person, some insignificant person in their life has offended them in some way and they just can't get over it. Every time they always go back to it. It's kind of hooked them. Or you, or you listen to somebody uh, with a problem they've got and you're on the outside of that problem and you can resolve that really easy. It seems pretty straightforward. All you've got to do is this, this. It could be to do with their family. It could be to do with you know, something that's close. And you as the outsider think, why can't they see? It's pretty obvious. I mean, it's a simple answer. But they're completely sort of like hooked into it because of this little part of the brain called the amygdala. So when you hear something that is offensive, when you, when you, when you comprehend it, the path to the amygdala is faster, powerful. That's what we've got there. Um, it's faster, more powerful, and it, 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 help, it makes it harder for our brain to interpret it the right way. So what we need to do then, just very quickly, is lots of things, but to consider a few things so that we can slow our brain down and consider things more in the neocortex part of the brain than the amygdala. So if you think about the temperament, um, a person's going to be a bit of a bulldozer. You recognise that's what they're going to be like. Your brain is thinking, I bet when I speak to them they're going to be a bit of a bulldozer. Then, sure enough, it happens. They're a bit of a bulldozer. You're thinking in the more, the neo, and you can cope with it better. Then if all of a sudden you're not, pre- not preparing yourself, they go bang and suddenly you're offended. Or if you're highly pedantic and everything has to be done exactly the way it should be and you know that that person's going to be like that, then as soon as you see it, you can actually prepare yourself. And so on. So, te- understanding a person's temperament means you're preparing yourself for, to be in less conflict because of the neocortex. Um, personal biases, if you had a bad history, if you're tired, Linda spoke to about uh, the inflammatory language that can come about. Thinking about are they using high road language? Is there judgment? Is there um, accusation? Is there anger in the way that's being said? Think about your own language. How you tailor your communication can often avoid um, uh, conflict. The amygdala. I've considered this for a long time. Jesus was human. He's totally human. He shared emotion. He cried. He got angry. He connected. He wasn't just a robot who mechanically could resolve conflict. He he engaged with that. He expressed emotion freely, but in a self-control, because one of the fruits of the Spirit, of God's Spirit, one of the characteristics is is self-control. He was able to engage with it without doing it. And so there's, a, there's an idea that we, this part of the brain is important. God's given to us, but that gives us a chance. So what I want you to do now is I want you to turn to the person next to you again, quickly have a discussion about whether the conflict you talked about, what part did the amygdala play in either escalating or decreasing that conflict? Go. Okay. The main application of this part is 
main application we find in life is this. What would you do if you overhear a bunch of colleagues talking together, criticising a friend of yours? So you're in the lunchroom, you hear uh, Chris behind his back. He has no idea about this and thinks they are loyal colleagues. What would you do? Would you give your friends a heads up or not? We're running behind time, but I just want you to think carefully, what would you do in that situation? Would you give a heads up to your friend or would you keep it to yourself? The information here I want you to say is there's a thing called indirect communication. You can talk. The, the thing is there's indirect communication. Secondhand communication has a huge impact between 15 and up to 25 times more impact than when you hear it direct. Put it this way. I'm sitting here having a chat to Yvonne after the service about the... And, and Ian's out there and we can overhear Ian talking about my talk this morning, right? And Ian's, you know, talking to Garok and he's saying, what a waste of time that was. God, he had no idea what he's doing. And I'm hearing this secondhand. The impact is about 20 times more than if Ian had come to me and said, oh, conversely, if I'm sitting here and they're saying, what a fantastic, that was so good, that was so helpful, it has, every teacher knows that if you want to encourage a student, yes, it's good to tell the kid, but you tell the parent and the parent says, your teacher thinks you're doing a fantastic, that has a multiple times impact. There's another form of secondhand communication and that is text and email. When you receive something written, it has about 10 to 20 times more impact than you get a direct, you never, and I think I've got those points, you never pass on information that is emotive via email or text. You talk first, always. I don't know how much money businesses could save if they use this principle every time. And there's a whole lot, lot of applications I won't get into this morning because what about if you have to keep paper trails and all that kind of stuff. The point is this. We need to understand. We don't have time for this. I'm going to keep moving um, to this part, the three R words. There's three R words that I want to talk about. There's lots of R words. I'm just going to talk about three of them this morning. When there is a conflict, there is two things we need to do. We need to resolve and we need to reconcile. Resolve is fixing the problem. Reconcile is fixing the relationship. Some people are very good at fixing the problem. Yeah, I want to get, yeah, you're squabbling. Where should we go for dinner? Chinese, Thai, Chinese, Thai. So, you know, you say, oh, we shouldn't be fighting. We're, we're happy. So, you stop fighting. You, re- you reconcile. And then, you know, as you're backing the car out, Chinese, you're back into it again. And suddenly the, the conflict is back on. Some of us are better at reconciling. Some of us are better. You've got to do both. When you listen carefully to people who are conflicting, you'll find that often people will do one without the other. This is a, a law of the universe. Those of you who remember the four spiritual laws. One of the four spiritual laws. God had to resolve the problem of sin before reconciliation could take place. You can't do one without the other, ultimately, when it comes to forgiveness. Which one are you better at? I'd like to, the two guys, where are they, Sam and um, who are going to do this reader's thing? Come on up, guys. I'm going to do a quick skit. I want to talk about one more R word before we finish. Thanks, guys. Come on up. So, um, okay. Okay, Sam and Kyle. So, they're going to do a little reader's skit, so watch carefully and see if you can think what the R words are here. Out of the truth and reconciliation process in South Africa, a story has emerged and is told and retold as a parable of the tension between truth and reconciliation. The phrase, what about the bike, has become shorthand for issues of truth in the process of seeking reconciliation. James, which one's James? James, a 14-year-old newsboy, has saved his earnings for three years to finally 
by the new bike of his dreams. Two days later, he is accosted in an alley by Eric, the white neighbourhood bully, whose father is a capo in the local mob, whose uncle is the corrupt chief of police. Eric pushes James from the bike and said, give it, some, give it up, kid, and he rides off, powerless to do anything about the theft. James often sees Eric riding his beautiful bike while he returns to his old rusty junker. Three years later, Eric, having gone through his own series of tough experiences, approaches James and says... Uh, kid, could we talk? I don't think so. Hey, come on, chill out. I don't want to talk with you. Just just listen to me for a minute. No way. You don't have anything to say that I want to hear. Uh, yes, I do. Yes, I do. There's something I've got to say to you, okay? I can't imagine what. Hear me out. Okay. Look, uh, I, uh... I know I was mean to you. Uh, I, I think about it when I see you. I, I, I don't know quite how to put it. It's just that, well, I, I wanted to say that I'm sorry. I apologise. You, you're apologising to me? Yeah. What's this all about? This may sound weird, but um, since my dad got killed, my whole life's been turned upside down. Um, I've been trying to sort things out. Well, actually, I've been going to church again. And, well, I'm trying to make things right with people I hurt. Um, so if I hurt you in any way, uh, I want to ask your forgiveness. If you hurt me in any way, you say? Yeah. Uh, will you forgive me? Forgive you? You're asking me to forgive you? Yes. That sounds nice and all that. I mean, it may be good for you. But I have one question to ask before we talk about forgiveness. Yeah? What about the bike? The bike? Oh, this isn't about the bike. It's about you and me. I don't have the bike anymore. It's long gone. Bikes? Hey, they come and they go. This is about you and me, about us, you know? About relationship. About relationship? What relationship? And that's why I've come to ask, will you forgive me? You think that's all there is to do? You just say... I'm sorry, and you say some nice stuff to make everything okay again, and then we forget about the past and act like nothing's happened? Well, yeah. I have just one thing to ask. Yeah? What about the bike? Beautiful. Give me a round of applause. Thanks, guys. What about the bike? Restitution is a fundamental principle when it comes to seeking forgiveness. There's two, one, one, two very quick points, and it's this. When you accidentally damage, you need to fix the problem you've done. If I accidentally back into your car, I need to fix the problem. I don't say, hey, will you forgive me for backing into your car? I've got to actually fix the problem. If I do it out of malice, if I do it out of spite, you need to fix the problem and do it multiple times. We could unpack the story of Zacchaeus, the tax collector, who ripped off people. When he realised he'd done the wrong thing, he didn't just repay the money that he'd taken, what he'd done wrong. He repaid multiple times. There is restitution required, and in my experience, mostly restitution required when it comes to conflict is emotional restitution rather than physical restitution. What does that look like? Empathising with pain, understanding, feeling the other person's pain. Whether you agree with it or not, restitution is required. So sometimes relationships get stuck because restitution isn't there. We're done. I just wonder if you want to get out your little pieces of paper. Have a look at the little picture in the middle. 
you might want to get a pen and you might want to write you might want to write a conflict that's on your heart at the moment you might want to write it in code because it's too hard to note you might just want to draw a picture think about it you actually might be really sitting there going well that's all nice but the conflict I've got can't be resolved or it's actually way bigger than you can imagine or it's actually just got given me so much grief that I can't actually solve it. I wonder if we can just spend a couple of moments listening, just listening to what God has to say to us in this. You might have a really big, big conflict in mind at the moment. It might be just a small one. You might not have one in particular, but I bet you can think of someone who's got one. Let's just stop and think of those for a couple of minutes. There's a saying around um, which kind of drives me nuts and it's this saying, well, it is what it is. You know, something happens, people go, oh, well, it is what it is. And I listen to that and I go, oh, it is what it is. But what if it's not meant to be? What if it's actually meant to be fixed? What if it's meant to be different? And that's what I want to ask today. Let's just stop and think and listen for what God might say to us about the conflict that we're thinking of this morning. My friend Julia came to my door a while ago. She and I had been friends since we were 16 years old and we'd grown up and we'd gotten married and we'd been in each other's weddings uh, and then we had children and I something had gone on in me and I decided that she would, she would actually think I was a terrible mum because she was such a good mum. So I stopped returning her calls I stopped returning her text messages and we slowly drifted apart. And then one day she came and knocked on my door and I opened the door and she said, sit down, working this out. And I'm really grateful she did because we are great friends to this day, decades later after she did that. I wonder what God's asking you to do today. I wonder what action he's asking you to take. You see, the thing about this idea of following Jesus is it's actually all about restoring relationships. There's a, um, there's a couple of Bible passages I want to have a look at. Um, the first one is from Matthew 18. So can we put the Bible passages up on the screen? Thanks, Nick. So the first one is from Matthew 18. And it says, If your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault. Just between the two of you, if they listen to you, you've won them over. This is a passage that just says, go, go, go. If something's wrong, go, go to the person. And the reason that we know that we can trust God on this is the second one. In Romans 5.8, it says, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, while we still had our back turned to God, while we were still not listening to him, while we were still walking our own path, Jesus died for us. He came. He, Jesus, God said, go, go fix it. And I wonder if there's an element to your conflict where God is saying, go. So I had a story that was going on for me and I was chatting out in the foyer to somebody last Sunday morning and they said, how's that thing going in your life? And I said, well, it's really, really good but there's this really hard bit 
and I feel like I'm in a really difficult conflict with somebody over it. And she turned to me and she said, well, you need to go. You need to sit it down and you need to name it. And I spent the next 24 hours in my head having an argument with that lovely lady about how wrong she was because it's too hard to fix. This person is too complex. This is too big an issue. It cannot be solved. It cannot be as easy as just go, sit down and talk about it. So I thought about it for 24 hours. And then uh, late on Monday, I'm pacing up and down my house for about an hour, working up the gumption to go and have this conversation. And eventually I did. I sat down and said, I'm going to name the elephant in the room. And I did. And we had a long conversation. And it was really huge. And unfortunately, it did not end in tears and hugs and kisses because it's not that simple, because it is that complex. But I've named it. And another 24 hours later, that person came back to me and said, I've got something else to add to it. And we've begun this path of actually naming it and fixing it. And it's really, really huge. But it was really hard. So I wonder what God's asking you to do this morning. I wonder if he's asking you to go. I wonder if it's those three R's that you need to think about, whether it's resolving something or reconciling with somebody or maybe it's that big one, that restitution, because it is about the bike. I wonder what God's asking you to do. Gonok and the band are going to sing us a song. As, yeah, as we listen, I want you to do some work. Just listen to God. If your conflict is really big, cry out to him about it. Ask him, God, can this even be fixed? Ask him, what do you want me to do in it? Is it something really hard? Because if it's really hard, you're going to have to give me the guts to do it. It is what it is. But what if it's not? What if it's meant to be fixed? Because that's what God is on about. He is about fixed relationships. He came and fixed our relationship with him. And he wants us to fix the relationships that we have with those around us. I know it's not easy. Trust me. I know it's not easy. But there might be some where he's asking us to take action and make a move. Listen to the song. Look at the words and ask, what are you asking me to do, God? What do you want?